It is March the 12th, 2017, and our title is Reach. Everybody say Reach. Reach. Not just preach, but you got to reach. Amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 is where we're going to start. Say there when you are there. It says this, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. Well, isn't that nice of the Lord? He's commanding us to do something. And then he's saying, hey, this isn't too difficult for you. I I have a plan for you. If you will simply obey what I have for you, this is not going to be too hard for you. You can actually do what I've got for you to do. That should be a great encouragement. We should just close in prayer right now. We can all go home. Because if we understand that the Lord is with us, I've often said this, often said this to people. Like, hey, when I'm trying to get to know somebody, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do something along these lines. Hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, I'm an engineer. Okay, great. Fantastic. Is that really what you want to do? Is that really what you're called to do? And they're like, well... Okay, so let me, let me rephrase the question then. If you knew that you could go do something and you would be successful that God would be with you and you would have everything you would need to complete that task, what would you do? What I'm trying to do in that is eliminate any possibility of fear. It's usually, uh, when I was a principal, I would actually ask this to people and they would go, because I'm trying to see if teaching is really in their heart or if they're doing it for some other reason. I just want to find out. I just want to get to know. What would you do, though, if you knew that God would be with you, that you would have every bit of resources, resource that you need, and you would not fail, what would you do? Well, for us as a church, our answer should be exactly what I'm doing now. Because we do have that. It's not too difficult for us. Uh, and Joy, if you could put up the rest of the verse on the screen. It's not too difficult. No, we'll go back to 11. Yeah. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Uh, y'all know the beyond your reach idea, right? you're at a nice restaurant and the bill comes sometimes that's sometimes that's beyond some people's reach right you get some t-rex arms going no let me get that like slow-mo just starts happening in real life you're like i thought that only happened in musicals and you know i I didn't know what what's going on here beyond your reach you know what the enemy does in the world though you know the way the world does is they have a carrot that they dangle out in front of you Right? So the carrot is out here somewhere. And what happens with the carrot? Well, it always stays beyond your reach because they're trying to get you and manipulate you and move you somewhere that they want you to go. Right? You do that for little kids when they're walking. You just stay just beyond their reach so they'll keep kind of walking at you. What the Lord says is that His will, what He's commanding you to do, not what you would like to do, not what you thought about doing and kind of be neat, but what he is commanding you to do. It's not too difficult for you, A, and B, it's within your reach. But you have to reach for it. The idea is that you can't sit there and wait for God to put it in your lap. Well, it's not too difficult for me, so I'm just going to sit here for a little while. No, there is both the load that you're supposed to carry and the burden that we must share with one another. There is a responsibility that we have to accomplish what God has for us in the kingdom. Each one of us have to reach. We talked about not having an excuse on Wednesday. Pastor Matt talked last Sunday and did a great job on trying to be forceful in the kingdom. Um, We're circling around the same ideas, folks. 
we're circling around this and going, yeah, every one of us, there's nobody who should have an excuse. I got, uh, I didn't get, I, by the way, I didn't get texts from everybody who was here Wednesday night. Just reminding you. Hold up. Pastor's going to be truthful. It's all right. I didn't get texts from everybody on Wednesday night about your no excuses, but I got a lot of texts from Wednesday. I was able to read through them. First of all, let me encourage you. You're not the only one in your situation. There was not any text that I got that was just some outlier. One single, like, poor little lonely soul. Oh, a little pitiful life. No, there was none of those. If misery loves company, we got a lot of miserable people. I mean, no, wait. <laughs> it's actually, it should be encouraging to us because you're not alone in your struggles. We had people who say, yeah, uh, no more excuses because I think of myself too highly. A lot more people than that said, yeah, no more excuses that I'm not enough. However you said it, however you relate it to me, a lot of folks said, yeah, I just don't think I'm enough. What I'm going to ask you to do today is to reach. I'm going to ask you to reach out and do more and believe what his word says. Deuteronomy is the wrapping up of the law. He's recapping everything. You'll find things in Deuteronomy that you found in Exodus, that you found in Leviticus. You'll find it in a lot of different places in the law. And then in Deuteronomy, dut, duo, duet, it's the second giving of the law. He's kind of summarizing it in a single one power pack punch. Right? He's going to go through, and actually, by the way, the song that we started off with today was from Deuteronomy 32.4 that I read before service, that Moses wrote a song for the people. The whole entire chapter of Deuteronomy 32 is a song so that when, <laughs> the truth is, is so that when they uh, rebelled against God, they would have this song that they would all know because it was part of their culture that would start singing, that would start playing in their head and they would hear it. You know how you do that? In, in our house, it was clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. Clean up, clean up, everybody do your share. Right? We would sing that, and so our kids, when they were, you know, Riley's age or something, we'd, they'd start, and they, we would just start singing it, and they'd go, oh, oh, like little robots. It was great. Just push the button, and they'd start cleaning up. <laughs> oh, yes! They know. We've trained them. This is great. They're better than puppy dogs, you know? We would, we would start singing. Um... There's, there's different songs. Uh, Caitlin sang one to me that, that she does with Riley. No Means Stop or something like that. I don't know. Uh, whatever, whatever families are working on, we have songs that we do. The, yeah, Riley's, Riley's giving us a witness now. The children of Israel need the same thing. They needed Moses to write a song for them. If they needed it then, guess what we need now? We need worshipful things going on in our heart. We need to come together you're like, why do we sing that song? Yes, I'm going to climb this mountain with my hands wide open. Hey, that's a little bit weird. If I'm not holding on, how am I climbing this? Is there a road? The whole point of this is that you're climbing. You're going to go up and you're ascending to the Lord, but you're not holding on to the things that could keep you bound. If you're holding on to the wrong things, you can't make the climb. You have to have your hands free to be able to do it. I've heard it said that uh, in different parts of the world, when they're trying to catch monkeys, they have a box. And they, they have a hole that's just big enough for the monkey to get their hand in. And they have some object in there. They look in there and they're like, ooh. They stick their hand down there and grab, I don't know, a coconut. And they can't get their hand back out because of the coconut. 
Now, all they have to do is let go of the coconut and they're free. But they won't let go of it because that's what they wanted. And so they liter- there's no trap device. They literally just walk up and then they tranquilize the little monkey. That's the tranquilized sound in my head. <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Doesn't the enemy use the same type of device for us? We reach our hand in something and we could be free. All we have to do is just let it go and walk away. Just let it go. Open up your hand, leave it alone, walk away and everything is fine. When we have bitterness, when we have unforgiveness that we've latched onto, we said, no, I deserve to not forgive this person. Do you know what they did? If you knew what they did, you would understand why I decided not to forgive this person. Well, amen. You cannot forgive them all day long. And what you've just done is you've trapped yourself. Now you're bound to this, telling me how right you are to hold on to it. And I'm saying, I, I don't care if you had a reason. How about you let go and get yourself free? How about you climb this mountain with your hands wide open so that you can get out. If you've got bitterness in your heart, you know what? Unforgiveness turns into bitterness. You start off with unforgiveness. I, I, I am just, I am choosing, I'm just having a hard time with that person. Well, be careful. You forgive because the Lord told you to forgive because it's the right thing to do and you let your emotions catch up with you. You choose to forgive someone. I'm going to choose to let go of this because if you don't, it just becomes bitterness. And then it pollutes your entire system. The Lord says in Nehemiah 8.10 that the joy of the Lord is what? While you're holding on to this, what's happening is your strength is just being zapped from you. What I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach, but you do have to stand up and you have to reach for it. You have to take hold of it. Those, the kingdom of God is advancing and those who are forceful, some translations say the violent take it by force. Are you advocating violence? Not in the physical realm. Nope. You need to lay down your life. Somebody's ready to punch you in the face? You let them. Wait, what? If it's over the gospel? Go ahead. I'm, I'm not going to make this a physical combat because I'm trying to win your soul. I'm trying to save your soul. I'm trying to get you free from what you need to be free of. But in the spirit realm, can I tell you, we need to be commandos. We need to be violent and take things by force in the spirit realm. We need to go after it. You know what? I, I, I figured this out the other day, and we're going to get back to Scripture here in just a second. I just want to try to, to feel where we are this morning. You know what I was thinking about the other day? is a core group. Everybody say core group. I wasn't even thinking about it here for the church, only the church. There are some people who get in the core group wherever they go. Okay? Y'all know me. I am an uber nerd. Right? Nerd in school. Always did that. There was something about my life that I've been able to figure out where the core group was. Not the cool group. Never have I ever been in the cool group. I don't even think that's possible. That wasn't even a goal. I was like, I, I can't do that. That's, but a core group. You know, what I, you know what I had the ability to do since I was younger is just find out, like, who are the top people in this group and what are they doing? I'm going to go do that. So when I became a teacher, 
Soon after I started learning how to teach, I became one of the better teachers in the school. You know what I did? I literally went around and I found the best teachers in school and I went and sat with them and I bought them lunch and I said, tell me what you do. You are known for being the best football coach, the best baseball coach, the best math teacher. I wasn't a math teacher. I didn't care. I figured they were really good at it. I'm going to figure out what they do and go do that. Can I encourage you that there's, no, there's nothing that keeps you from being in a core group here in this church? The only thing you need to do is reach for it. It's not too difficult for you, and it's not beyond your reach. There is nothing in this entire church that's off limits. Did you know what you have to do? You have to walk in and take it. You have to go up and, and make yourself available for it. You have to go after it. You know what we're not going to do in this church? And this really makes some people a little crazy. We're not going to go chase you. We're not going to pamper you. We're not going to say, oh, you don't have to reach for it. We'll literally put it in your lap. We're saying, we're right here, man. The way the kingdom works is you have to learn how to step forward. You have to learn how to take hold of it. Why don't you come? Trust us. Trust us. It's right here. You're not precluded. You have to take the step, though. In the prodigal son, the prodigal had to turn around and start walking. And then what happened? The father turned and ran toward him. We have to take steps of obedience. We have to take steps of faith. And I promise you, he's going to come the further distance. But you cannot sit where you are. You cannot stay where you are and advance in the kingdom. You know what you have to do? You have to reach. You have to reach. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 5. Are you guys with me this morning? Romans 10 and verse 5 says this. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. By the way, he is now quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. We read verse 11. He's going to start quoting from verse 12. So it was just said, the part that he's reading right now or quoting from right now is immediately after, it's not too difficult for you and it's not beyond your reach. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. In other words, we're not going to be like other religions in the world that say you need to build your own ladder. You need to build your own access to the heavenlies. We're saying, no, 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 we're not going to bring Christ down. He already decided to do that for us. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. No, no, no. See, he already did that. He didn't. We don't have to go into heavens to bring him down. We don't have to go into the grave to bring him up. He chose to come down, die on the, die on the cross, a sinless death on the cross, and be resurrected. He did both parts of this. We don't have to do that part, but what we have to do is reach out to him now that he's here. The word is near you. Everybody say, the word is near The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, this part is very, very familiar to us. If you've been around in church for any length of time, these verses uh, echo at the end of many services. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Save from your inability to let go of the things that have you captive. Save from the penalty that sin brings. Sin always brings separation. It always brings death. 
Well, Pastor, we know this. Yeah. We're going to be reminded of some things today that we need to know. I don't think it's news to you that you need to reach out and do. That you need to reach for what God has for you. You're going to have to reach for it. It's not too difficult for you. It's not out of your reach, but you've got to reach for it. You've got to show that he is worthy. The king of kings is worthy of us reaching and doing. That if you confess with your mouth, that word for com- confess there is a compound word in the Greek. Homo logios. The same words. The same saying. If you confess. In other words, if you cause yourself, if you reach out. You, it, <laughs> we've lessened this so much in our society. All you have to do is say you're a Christian and we count it as a Christian, right? If you look on studies, depending on who's doing the studies, between 70 and 85% of the country are Christians. <laughs> nope. Brother, that's so judgmental. Uh, No, really. I can just look at a tree and say, it has no fruit. There are no leaves on this tree. It is not a healthy tree. If someone has a life that has no fruit, that has no health, you go, that life has no health. Dear God, let's please pray that this person may find actual life. It doesn't do you any good to, to rejoice in a dead tree. No, I want to see them come to life. I want to see it growing fruit and, and doing what it's supposed to do, doing what it was created to do. The confess here is that you have the same testimony as everyone else who is a true believer. The same testimony, whether you're here in the United States or in Peru or in Turkey or in Israel or wherever you might be, in Indonesia, that you have the same testimony as that of what the Scripture gives us. If you confess with your mouth, it's not a formula that says, if you say it, that Jesus is Lord, you're done. Hey man, congratulations, you're a Christian. If you have the exact same testimony that rings from your mouth that you're living, if what's ringing from your mouth is found in Scripture, if what's ringing from your lips is what exactly is found in those who would be willing to die for Christ, then you can move on to the believing in your heart that you have the same type of faith. The word there is a derivative of the Greek word pistis. Pistis is the word for faith in the Bible. So if you have the same testimony as those around you, and you declare that Jesus is Lord, and you have the same type of faith, trust, grounded obedience. You are doing what God has told you to do in your heart and with your actions that God raised him from the dead. That's why we're doing this. That's why we can do what we do is because we have the power to do it. You will be, everybody say it, saved. People try to make this so, so, um, so easy that we've actually just made it cheap. I've, I've actually, I've been thinking about you guys. I think about y'all all the time. That shouldn't surprise you. This is what pastors do. We think about you. I've been thinking about coming and speaking to you this morning. And what I kept thinking about was, Lord, Lord, we have people here and I want to make sure that not only is every person saved, that we reach out. If you are not saved, if you haven't, if your life isn't this, that you reach out for the one who's already died for you. He came down from heaven. You don't have to ascend to heaven. You don't have to do that part. He's already done it. You don't have to descend to hell that you might help him up. No, no, no. He's already done that. But what we were trying to do is get people who understand and move from darkness to light, move from the power of the enemy to the power of God. Um, Joy, can you put up John 20, 27? 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Experience this thing that Jesus died on the cross, that he came here. Stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. What do you need to do? Oh, maybe there's some people here who need to release whatever sinful things are there, release whatever religion or non-religion that you were brought up in and actually find the true life that God has. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Everyone to Acts 17. Verse 26. It says this, From one man he made the world. I'm sorry. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Everybody look up here for just a second. The Lord determines where you live. The Lord determines that. If you're a believer, the Lord determines that and he tells you about it. My firm belief is that even if you're not a believer, the Lord determines where you're supposed to be. He causes jobs to open up. He causes jobs to close. He causes favor in one place. He causes it to turn into a drought in your life to get you moving. If we stayed comfortable all the time, you know what we do? We'd stay wherever we want to stay. But what the Lord does is He moves it. He causes things to flourish and not flourish. He causes seasons to change. You ever heard somebody say that about their job? Well, yeah, I'm just kind of... What was fantastic, I had super favor, everything I I could walk in and everybody wanted to listen to me. Give that six months and nobody's even talking to you. And nothing has changed on your end. Why was I in, in, in the most, hey, look, hey, what do you think about this? Come on over, let, let's get your opinion. You're like, hey, this is exciting. And then that just stops happening. Why? Because our God is actually good and he's going to move you where he wants to move you. He determines the exact places that they should live. Exactly. I love the fact that the Lord of all creation has determined that Charlie and Joel and Brown, that the entire Brown household is two doors down from me. What, what? You guys realize that they've been looking for six months? Six months. They put in offers. They put in bids. They tried to get other houses. It's almost like God was trying to determine the exact place that they should live. But why would he determine the exact place? Just to show off that he's God? Well, yeah, he could do that too. But (laughs) verse 27 actually gives us the answer. God did this so that, here's the reason, men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. You know why God has you here? So that you'll reach out. The reason that God has you in the apartment, in the home, in the community that you're in is so that you'll reach out to him. And what does it say? Though he is not far from each one of us. We, but we have to learn that we reach out, that there's, a re, there's, there's something in our hearts that has to cry out to God. When you get saved, there's a faith that's required for you to step in to what God has. It's not a stepping in of your own ability. You're saying, actually, I'm stepping away from that and I'm stepping into what Christ has. When you step into having a gift, gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, operating in the gifts that the Bible clearly declares, you know what you have to do? You have to take a, faith of, a step of faith and reach out and do those things. 
God doesn't move your mouth like you're a puppet if you're going to speak in tongues. He doesn't make you do it. He enables you to do it. It's a gift. He's saying, here's the gift. Now please open the gift. Now enjoy the gift. Your birthday gift. Beautifully wrapped. If it's me, it's in a bag because that's how I wrap things. (laughs) Stuff the paper on top. I just keep getting big enough bags to fit whatever I've got. That's all I do. Here's your bag. Oh, thank you, brother. That's so wonderful. There's my birthday gift. I will treasure that bag and your sweet gift to me all the days of my life. Yeah, that's fine and all, but why don't you just open it? Because I got something for you that I want you to use. The Lord has done the same thing. When He gives us spiritual gifts, He's saying, I want you to use them. And the same faith that's required for us to step in and reach out to find salvation, we have to reach out and find out how to use our spiritual gifts. It's almost like He's going to continue to ask us to let go of what we're holding on to, let go of the fear, let go of whatever else, and reach out and grab a hold of what He's got and embrace it with all that we are. You know how you're going to get better at prophesying? Do it. And you're probably going to get it wrong. And we will smack you down. No. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) We will address it with you. We will. Because we love you. We're not saying, never do this again. We're like, amen. Brother, I think you missed that. I think that was bad placement. Amen. Keep doing it though. Keep doing it. Keep, see, keep searching the Lord. Keep, if you, you know how you're going to get to be a better teacher? Teach. You know how you're going to get to be better at administrating and leading in the kingdom? Go lead something. The reason that we originally called this church Life-Changing Ministries and Fellowship and now it's called Life-Changing Ministries, <laughs> the ministries part is supposed to come from you. We are a collection of what you are doing because God has told you to do it. That's how we view our church. It's life-changing ministries. You guys. What we are going to do is help and oversee and and encourage and motivate and do anything we can to help you. But you know what it's not going to become? It's not going to become where we have institutionalized many ministries. You know what we offer? We offer 17 things. Here is our pamphlet that tells you what we offer. And by we, we mean staff. Somebody's like, hey, did you know uh, that that this is going on? I'm like, yeah, I just heard about that like five minutes ago. That sounds exciting. I'm a pastor in the church. I'm like, yeah, this is great. It's life-changing ministries that God did this so that men would seek him. And perhaps, the perhaps is not on God's end, it's on their end. Perhaps they'll reach out for him because that's what he's wanting. That's what he's hoping. It's like when you're, when you're young and you're, 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 you're attracted to somebody. You want to come just sit by him. Perhaps they'll reach out. Saying, come on. Perhaps. They will reach out and find him. (laughs) Though God is not far from from them. I want to encourage you this morning that God is not far from you. 
If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you don't have a strong relationship with Christ, if you have an amazing relationship with Christ, can I encourage you that God is not far from you, but you have to reach out for him. You have to reach out. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 15. This is Elisha. Elisha was uh, giving all the war secrets of the Armenians, the king of Aram. They would set a trap and Elisha would hear from the Lord and he said, um, they're, gonna, they're uh, setting an ambush for you over here. Yeah, yeah, don't turn left on that road. Nope, they're going to they're gonna attack you. Hey, they're going to be over there in the bushes. Don't do that. And so the king of the Armenians was getting furious. He's like, Who, who's the spy? We have a, a spy in our midst. And they're like, no, it's that man of God called Elisha. <laughs> what? One man? I'm the king of the Armenians. I will handle him. Sends a, a, a group of warriors to go take care of this one man. They surround him. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, I guess he was letting out his puppy dog, I don't know. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. How many, takes, how many horses and chariots does it take to surround a city? How many would it take to surround this building? A lot. I don't know how many that is, but it's just a lot. How about a city? Okay, so, so we're talking a lot of forces here. The servant of the man of God says, Oh, my Lord. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than who are with them. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> They're standing there in their bathrobes, cup of coffee. I guess they went and picked up the paper. And so they're sipping coffee outside going, oh my goodness. As far as I can see, there are horses and chariots. What are we going to, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? Don't worry. Those who are with us way outnumber those other guys. What? (laughs) What are you talking about? This is, this, is, this is crazy. I can see this. What are you talking about? Next verse. And Elisha prayed. Come on, things happen when you pray. Amen. Different kind of, oh Lord here. <laughs> oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, the, can you imagine this idea of the horses just snorting and of fire. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, so this is something different. My encouragement, my, my desire for you guys today is this. <laughs> Whatever it looks like in your natural circumstances, that God will open our eyes so that you can see what's really going on. That you can see that he has set you somewhere and he will take care of you with all the forces of the heavens if you will but reach out for him and do what he tells you to do. But see, that's the thing. If you're going to rely on what you see, you're always going to feel like you're outnumbered. In the natural, 
By the way, as a Christian, you're always going to be outnumbered. I mean, for real. You're going to go to any job that you work at, any job where you work, and I'm, you're going to be the lone Christian. Or not many of you. You're always going to be outnumbered. Well, I work at a Christian. Okay, then let's talk about real Christians. You'll be one of the few of those. I worked in private Christian organizations. Worked in a denominational school that I was a teacher and became a principal. Can I tell you that there were actually pretty few real Christians there? Yeah, there were professing people and some of them loved the Lord and were very sweet. I'm not trying to get there. Do you know how many like serious, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to go give my life for this thing people there were? Not many. Those, <laughs> those would usually leave. <laughs> the serious ones couldn't stick around usually too long. How about we get our eyes open to the chariots of fire that are in your life? How about you get your eyes open and realize that there's something spiritual? How could it be? How is it possible that this world is only what you can see? How is that even possible? The God who spanned out the universe with the palm of his hand. How can it be that you figured out enough by yourself in your own intellect? How is that possible? He's named the stars. We can't even count all the stars. He's, he calls them by name. He's numbered the grains of sand on all the beaches in the world. How is it possible? And he knows you by name. And he's called you by name. How is it possible that we won't reach out to him? How is that possible? Oh, because we placed ourselves on the highest throne of our own heart. We're idolatrous unto ourselves. We're idol- we don't, you might not have the little Buddha statue in your house. You might not have a little placard that you kneel down to before you leave usually in most houses is just your mirror huh there it is yep we have to have our eyes open in Genesis 3 you don't have to turn there I'm just going to talk through some of these in Genesis 3 Adam and Eve you know what happened after they sinned they had their eyes opened They wish they wouldn't have, but they finally had their eyes open. Let's turn to Psalm 119. Hagar was crying out to the Lord in Genesis. (laughs) She's sitting right there. She cries out to the Lord. He finally answers her, and then he shows her a well that was right there by her. It says that he opened her eyes. She was sitting right by what she needed and couldn't see it until he opened her eyes. Psalm 119 Verse 18, a very familiar passage for our church. A very familiar verse, rather. 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Turn to verse, uh, chapter 146 in Psalms. 146, verse 5. 146, verse 5. Blessed is he whose... Help is the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. Come on, the Lord can set you free if you've been a prisoner. The Lord gives sight to the blind. Those things that you've been blinded to, you didn't realize that God was moving you somewhere, you didn't realize that there were chariots of fire around you, he's the God who opens and give sight, go, opens eyes and gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Everybody say loves. loves. He loves the righteous. What does God do to the wicked? 
Bible says that he hates the wicked. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. It's not like before you become a believer, you're standing in a neutral position. I will either choose God or I will choose the devil. I'll either choose God or I'll choose something else of my own thinking. It's that we are standing in opposition to God. When we are friends with the world, we are enemies of God. When we, are, when we look and act and think and do like the world, we are literally standing at odds with God. We put ourselves as an enemy. There's no in-between. No, I'm a good person. No, you're, you're an enemy of God. Unless, unless you've reached out to Him because He's calling you. Let's turn to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea, minor prophet. They're called minor prophets not because of the importance of what they say, but usually the length of the, chap- length of the books are a little bit shorter. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. It says this. I still hear some pages turning. I'll, I'll wait and let you catch up. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. says this, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. This is why many people have, have problems with having faith in the Lord. Ultimately, we just don't think that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. We think that if we actually put our hope in the Lord, that somehow we're going to be put to shame. If I really do this, if I really reach out and give 100%, I mean, come on, Pastor Wade. Look, I I mean, I've done things in my life before and I really tried and I fell flat on my face. I've done that before. Look, I mean, you know, I've tried to lose weight before and, well, that didn't work very well. Yeah. Anyone who puts their hope in the Lord will never be put to shame. You can never possibly at the end of your life be ashamed of what took place if you go all in with Christ. It's not possible. Why? Because the Word tells us that and we have the testimony of thousands of years of actual believers willing to live, willing to die for Him. Actual believers and none have ever been ashamed. Well, how do you know that? Because I trust the Word. How do you know that I'm not right? Because you're trying to argue with me intellectually? I'm telling you, we've got the Word of God as a standard that's beyond ourselves. We have broken ways of thinking. We have broken ways of seeing. And the Word of God is true. Let us acknowledge the Lord. You know what that word there is in the Hebrew? Acknowledge is yada. Let us intimately know and experience the Lord. That's different than acknowledge, isn't it? Let us... Yada the Lord. Let us intimately know Him. Why? Let us press on. Let us press on. So let us intimately know Him and let us press on to intimately know Him. Yeah, so I know Him and I want to keep knowing Him. We have mixed uh, company in this place today. Yada is also... So I'm, I'm going to be very careful. Yada is a uh, term of... Can be used in the biblical times as a term for a husband and a wife knowing each other. There's an intimacy and a continued intimacy that is expected and healthy. 
Let us intimately know the Lord. And there's nothing, I'm not, don't be nasty with it. But intimately know the Lord and let us press on to continue to intimately know the Lord. Where there's nothing hidden. There's nothing embarrassing. There's nothing that you... It, it, is, it is such a deep level. This is the kind of thing that we're supposed to know. When we're press on to know the Lord, this is what we're pressing on to do, is have an intimacy with Him that is deep and true and pure. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at verse 13. It says this, We know that we live in Him, and He is in us, because He, God, has given us His Spirit. How do you know whether you're a believer or not? Well, He's going to put His Spirit within you. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. By the way, that word acknowledge there, it's not yada because yada is Hebrew, which would be the Older Testament. But here, it's the same word that we read earlier in Romans 10. When we confess when we have the same testimony as those who have gone before us, when we acknowledge with our lives as well as with our words that Jesus is the Son of God. How do you do that? Well, you live like He's actually the boss of your life. There used to be a, a saying when I was growing up in church, He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. By definition, if He is the Lord and Savior, we like to focus on the Savior part. Amen. I need a Savior. He's also the Lord of your life. He's the one who directs your steps. He's the one who ordains what you were created to do and moves you and stops you and tells you yes and tells you no. If you never have the Lord doing any of those things, then you need to evaluate what kind of Lord He is to you. If you always get to do what you want, who's really in charge? It's you. When the Lord says, no, don't do that, and you're like, I wanted you to do that. I really, I really want to say that to this person. Yeah, you just need to be quiet. I, I really don't want to say anything. And God's saying, you need to go tell them. There are many times every day that I'm trying to figure, Lord, is this your will? Lord, I feel this way, but what do you feel about this? Because you're the, you're the boss of my life. I don't get to make my own decisions. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't get to say that ever to him. Why would I want to? I've learned to trust him. I've learned that every time I don't listen to him, I always make a mistake. It always works out poorly. Even if I did the right thing, I did it in the wrong way and it becomes the wrong thing. I was right. Great. You won the battle and you lost the war. Fantastic. Congratulations to you. Or we can actually make him the Lord of our life. That's when we're acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. We're showing it with every part of our being. We're conquering sin. We're, having, we're producing fruit in our life. We're doing what he's telling us to do, whether we like it or not. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God help us if we think that's just your intellect. I acknowledge... I hereby declare to everyone and write it on a sheet of paper that Jesus is Lord. That's not acknowledging it. 
You can acknowledge people that way when you're getting in traffic, right? Go ahead. You just acknowledge them. When you're walking by somebody and you hadn't seen them in a while, depends on what, you know, give them a what's up. If you're a cowboy, you tip your hat, you go the other way, ma'am. What are you doing? You're just acknowledging. That's not the kind of acknowledging that this is talking about here. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. It's almost like when we have the same statements as those who have gone before us, this verse comes alive in our lives. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we have people who have done this right. We have people who have gone before us. We've had people who've made worse mistakes than anybody who's been, who is in this room currently. And they have found that if they reach out to the Lord, that He can come and wash them clean and renew their spirit and revive them. When we relinquish, He can come and revive. When we give up what we think we need to keep, He will always give us better than what we had. It will always be a better life than we could have hoped for. Therefore, since we are surrounded... How many, how many horses and chariots would it take again to surround this building? Oh, okay. Well, how about how people? How many people would it take to surround just this building? A whole lot. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, don't think that that number is a small number of what we're surrounded by. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything that hinders. Your thoughts, your will, your background. Well, I think the Lord is... Well, just... Throw off everything that hinders. Your thoughts, your history, your past. Throw it all away. And the sin. Oh, there are things that hinders and there are sins that are involved. That so easily entangles. <laughs> um, when, when my kids were little like maybe deacon's age. We would, I don't know why, that we would like do forts in the, in the living room. I don't know if anybody have ever done a pillow fort or a blanket fort in the living room. And you just take every blanket in the house and you kind of make this little maze through it. I can remember my kids when they were little and they would get in something and we had just chairs just to kind of keep things propped up and somehow they would get kind of wedged in something. They're like, eh, eh. What happened? I don't know. I can't get out. And for my family, it was usually probably because they're large noggins, little bobblehead kids walking around that I had. Oh, my head. I can't get it. I'm stuck. You know. Let go. No. Um, they were having fun until they got stuck somewhere that they couldn't get out of. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've done that as an adult. Not in a blanket fort. Okay, a couple of times in a blanket for it. <laughs> but mainly just getting and doing my own will and finding out that I ended up being someplace that I really couldn't get out of very easily. And the amount of pain that it took me to get out of that was extraordinary. It cost me such a high price to get out of the sin and the things that had hindered me. So since we've got people who've done it right, and who are doing it right. We throw off all those things. And what do we do then? We run with perseverance. Everybody say perseverance. perseverance. 
You know what makes you a core part of any group? You just have enough tenacity and perseverance that you reach out for it and you go after it. You learn what it's, what's required of you and you do it. And you become a valuable member of any group. This works for your, on your job. If you do this on your job, I promise you this will work. If you do this in your home, I promise you that this will work. If you do this in church, I promise you this works. You know why? Because it's just part of the kingdom. If you are not running with perseverance, the race marked out for, for us. Let us run the race marked out for us. I can't run your race. I don't need to run your race. But I need to, I need to run the race. And we've, we're all in this thing together. There are enough similarities that we can help push each other and spur each other on. We've got to be able to, to reach out. I think of people like the mighty men of David. Mighty men. You can look in 2 Samuel 23. What did they do? I don't know. They beat 800 men in one conflict. They went down in a pit and killed a lion on a snowy day. A, why are you going down into the pit? I mean, the weather's in. Come on, man. Hey, there's a lion. Let's go take care of it. What you got? I got my bare hands. <laughs> well, really? These are the kind of men. You know why? Because they had persistence. They had perseverance. Jonathan, hey, let's go take that battle. If they say, you know, what are you guys doing? Come on, let's fight. Well, no, that's a sign from the Lord. There's two of you, and we find out later in that story, he, they kill at least 20 men. So there's at least 20 in, in the garrison, in the fort that they're, let's take it. Hey, come on, there's, there's something that about, about the forceful men advancing in the kingdom. What about Daniel? Daniel was the epitome of, of an ambassador. He was an epitome. He acted through different kings, different kingdoms. Daniel, there he is again, rises to, to heights in each, in each place. What about the three Hebrew children? Standing, tenacious. Our God will save us, and if he, even if he doesn't, we're not bound down to you. What about Luke 16, 16 that Pastor Matt spoke on last week, being forceful? You know what? Because we really like it. The truth is, is we love it. We love the underdog story, don't you? What about Cinderella? What's the story about Cinderella, right? A mistreated, poor servant girl. Where does she end up? She ends up in the palace because she's a princess. Just sparkly. Just, it's just great, right? We love that story. What about real life? Uh, before my time, but Grace Kelly an actress that becomes an actual real-life princess of Monaco. Princess Diana. We have these stories, and the whole world is fascinated. You know why? It's something, in, it's something very interesting for those of us who are non-royalty to somehow become royalty. To somehow transport ourselves beyond the line of what it should be and be something altogether different. It's romantic. It's inspiring. It's the, it's the thing of legends and storybooks. And you know what? It's our lives if we let it be. Those of us who are not noble at all get to be part of the king's household. What about somebody like Abigail in the Bible? She was, her husband was surly and mean. He was a fool. That's what his name means. Nabal. Name means fool. That was her husband. She acts righteously towards King David. 
her husband acts wickedly towards King David and uh, actually suffers a stroke. The Lord judged Nabal. What happens with Abigail? She becomes a princess. She becomes a queen in the house of the king. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Just pressing in enough. She shouldn't have been there. She shouldn't have been allowed to touch someone like Jesus. She should should have been stoned. She should have been taken out. She should have been unclean. All these things should happen. You know what she did? She just decided, I'm already dead anyway. If I stay the way I am, I'm dead. How about I reach out and maybe something can happen. She touches the hem of Jesus' tallit of his garment and the power of God hits her. What about you? What do you need to press into today? What do you need to reach out for and press in so that God can do something special in your life? Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. One little verse here that we're going to read. Never be lacking in zeal. Okay, I'm going to read it again. I know it's just a phrase, but here we go. Never be lacking in zeal. You know, I I spent a lot of time this morning studying out the Greek. And this means exactly what you think it means. (laughs) It means never, ever (laughs) be depleted in your zeal. It means exactly what you think it does. But keep your spiritual fervor. Keep reaching out. If you're doing good in the Lord, keep reaching out. If you're not doing good in the Lord, start reaching out. If you're not in the Lord, would you reach out for Him? Wherever you are, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. There's something about it. When we keep giving to the Lord, when we keep serving Him, it causes us to die to self. It causes us to be exactly what He wants us to be. Let's turn to Acts chapter 9 as we get ready to close. Acts chapter 9. This is the story of Saul, who we later know becomes Paul. Same person, has such an experience with the Lord that literally his name changes. Let's look at Verse 4, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. There he finds a man. Look in verse 13. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, this Saul, All the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. It didn't matter the background. He was literally coming from killing Christians. And the Lord declares him to be the one that's chosen. A chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and their kings. And before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias prays for him. Look at verse 18. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. 
He had been blinded originally by the Lord coming and speaking to him the first time. He hadn't eaten. He couldn't see for multiple days. Ananias came and prayed for him. And something like scales fell off of his eyes. Paul receives the Holy Spirit here. It's an incredible encounter with the Lord. It's amazing though. The same thing happens to us. You won't see physical scales fall from people's eyes. But there are spiritual scales that fall off when we actually have an encounter with the King of Kings and with His Spirit. Take a look in Acts 26. It's the same story, but now instead of it being told about Paul, Paul is telling this story. He's sharing his testimony. Look at verse 15. Acts 26 and verse 15, it says, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen me, what you've seen of me, and what I will show you. This is a little bit different than what is actually recorded in Acts chapter 9. Paul is summarizing this, and he's saying, Yeah, what I'm supposed to do is tell people of what I've seen of him. Of what he's seen and what the Lord will show us. Verse 17. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. What we are sent to do in this world is to open people's eyes. This is the story of of 2 Corinthians 5 that says, When we have received the reconciliation of the Lord, you know what we do? We become ambassadors for this. We have something happen to us and then what the Lord does is He says, now you go and do exactly what just happened to you. You were set free, go set others free. You were healed, go heal others. You were liberated, go liberate others. You had your eyes open, now you go open other people's eyes. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Come on, there's a place for each person here today. There is a place that God intends. But we have to move. We have to move from having eyes that are blinded to eyes that can see. We have to move from darkness to light. We have to move from the power of Satan to the power of God so that people can receive forgiveness of sins. The worst thing we can do as a church is if you're sick physically, we only pray for your body. And we should. If you're sick here today, we'll be glad to pray for you at the end. And we're going to expect that God will heal you. But the worst thing we can do for somebody is pray and get their physical body healed and have their spirit be eternally damned and separated from God. How about we do both? Doesn't Jesus do that? Someone's crying out for a physical healing and what does he say? Hey man, your sins are forgiven. People are like, what? What are you doing? Who who gave you that authority? He's like, okay, so you know that I have authority from God? Uh, Yeah, go ahead and stand up. You can walk too. The physical part wasn't nearly as important as what was going on on the inside. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. For what I, what I, something that I really want to show you guys here. Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. God is trying to bring you close. That's what he did with the blood of Christ. That's why Acts 17 says, he determines where you live, where and when you live, so that we perhaps might reach out for him, although he's not far. You now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself, God himself is our peace, who has made the two one. Made the two what? The, the, the two people. The, the two groups of people. The Gentiles and the Jews. He's making the two one. He's making the people who were separated and he's forming one body from it. Made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Until you enter into Christ, you stand opposed to him. He had to take away the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He fulfilled the law for us. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them. Everybody say reconcile. Reconcile. How do you reconcile something? How do you reconcile a bank statement? You, You take all of the facts And you work through it in a way that causes everything to be exactly the way it's supposed to. There's no anomalies. There's no leftover details that weren't weren't there. If you if you like movies, what's one of the things that helps you in a movie is when they I love it when they tie in all the details. They tie it nice and tidy. Right? A poorly written movie has a lot of holes in the information. They're plot holes. There are things that don't make sense. You're like, wait a minute, why wouldn't they have just done this? Why wouldn't they have just gone and they would have won if they would have just done this, right? There's no loopholes in what God has done. There's no things that he forgot about. Oh my gosh, you're right. You did have sin in the past. I forgot about it. No, that's not going to happen. Oh, you're right. You did come from from a terrible family line. (laughs) I shouldn't have invited you to be a part of my kingdom. There's no loopholes in this. There's There's no missing information that he hasn't calculated. There's none of that. It doesn't matter. You may think it matters, but he's got it all worked out to the last detail. This one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. The cross is the thing that fixed all of the details by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. Listen to me this morning. The Lord preaches peace to you who are far away and to those of you who are near. There's one message. There may be different groups of people in the room, but there's one message. It says, peace to you. And not the kind of peace that the world gives where it's just a lack of noise. It's a lack of motion. It's putting your life in right order. When you reach out for him, the, the truth is, is the only way that we can reach out for him is because he's already reaching out to us. John 6, says that we can't even come to him unless he's drawing us. If the Holy Spirit draws you, then you better take advantage of it because the God of all creation is saying, I want you close. Just like a parent who says, come on, come on, I got you. What is the best feeling in the world for a new parent? 
You don't even have to be a parent to feel that. If, if you're one of the folks around here, maybe Elijah, walking around and he'll reach out to you and you're like, <laughs> feel pretty fantastic today. Right? A child that's not yours starts reaching out to you, you're like, yeah. Why do we do that? Because you were chosen. Yeah, he's a baby. <laughs> and we still like it. Because God put that in us to show that there's a desire to be reconciled. Nothing better. <sighs> Hold you, Daddy. Well, all my kids said that. I don't know why. Come here, let me hold you. Okay, hold you, Daddy. Yeah, well, take me. Okay, fine. That's, that's so cute. Can we take just a few minutes and worship the Lord and just have a time where we can just hold you, Daddy? I know that's incorrect. I get it. But can we just take a moment? Would you stand to your feet?